All right, who likes tossed salad? I should probably rephrase that. Who wants their salad tossed today? What? What? That's not? Try again? All right. Okay, who's familiar with the concept of a whole lot of different things in a salad? Is that better? All right. That's going to be the podcast today. A little talk about the draft since the Mets just picked sixth overall. A little talk about the recent struggles of the actual current Mets themselves. We've got a conversation with one of the key people in the Mets front office, J.P. Ricciardi. And a look at the next Mets opponent, the lowly Baltimore Orioles. All of that and a snappy intro song that you get to hear right now. It's your Daily Mets Podcast. It's your Daily Mets Podcast. It's where you're going to find out what the Mets are doing. It's your Daily Mets Podcast. It's your Daily Mets Podcast. All right, so first things first, the Mets have lost 9 of 11 and 10 of 13. They just scored six runs in a four-game series. They used three home runs in a single. Yeah, four swings produced runs in four games. And they let Javier Baez steal home, and they allowed a six-run 14th inning, and a catcher scored on a sack fly on a fly ball that went 200 feet. So, yes, the Mets are eager to turn the page. Some of the cavalry can be seen cresting the horizon right now. Todd Frazier with that left hamstring strain is back. Anthony Swarzak finally is back. That left oblique strain knocked him out from way back when. And this can't come soon enough for the Mets, who are lacking in the lineup and the bullpen right now. 27-30 and 30 is their record after the now-famous 11-1 start. Frazier initially was expected to miss only the minimum 10 days, but he'd never had a hamstring thing before. And it turns out he was out four weeks since May 8th, the day that the Mets traded Matt Harvey to the Reds. Figure on Jose Lobatone and a reliever to be the odd men out. Jose Reyes somewhat remarkably continues to have 9 or 10 or 11 lives at this point. Maybe once Joanna Cespedes finally returns, that is the end of the line for Jose then. And maybe Frazier will improve the Mets' production from the number four spot in the order if that's where Mickey Calloway plugs him in. Mets cleanup hitters are batting 206 for the year, two home runs, slugging percentage of 280. That is all major league low material. And once they get Cespedes back, between Frazier and Cespedes, hopefully the improvement will be there against the left-hand pitching. We talked about this on the last podcast that the Mets batting average and slugging percentage is a whole team against left-hand pitching. They basically turned into Billy Hamilton without the speed. So... That's what you can fix on the field right now. Longer term, the draft has begun. The Major League Draft began actually last night. And you may have heard by now the Mets had the number six overall pick. That's where Barry Bonds went, where Derek Jeter went. And kind of a critical opportunity for the the boss of the Mets draft, Tommy Tanis, because this is one of the, the Mets' highest selections in years. It's their highest actually in 14 years. They've done pretty well when they've had top 10 picks of note lately. Matt Harvey was a seventh pick in 2010. Conforto was number 10 overall in 2014. And you don't get to hate the Harvey pick because before the two surgeries, you might recall he was kind of a big deal. But anyway, over the last four years, the Mets now have graduated the likes of Noah Syndergaard and Steven Matz and Conforto and Nimmo and Rosario to the big leagues. I know Syndergaard wasn't originally their own draft pick, but they traded for him. And, you know, they traded away guys like Michael Fulmer and seen some other guys just kind of fizzle out in the minors. And, and it all compounds into what rates currently is kind of a weak 
overall farm system. So for this particular draft, yeah, you want to hit with that first pick, that number six overall, but you got to make sure you don't miss on many picks at all because you got to restock the pool for the pond. Like your pond be good for you, for you. So that's the thought. As you look at this draft and what the Mets' place would be in it, maybe get some older players who can advance through the system quickly, but you don't want to do that at the expense of getting a guy that you really like a lot. So that's the, the thought process as we now roll the drum. The drum roll, please. With a sixth pick of the 2018 Major League Baseball free agent draft, the New York Mets select Christian Hackenberg, Penn State. No, sorry, wrong envelope. Got the Warren Beatty uh, Oscars envelope. The actual number six pick and future New York Met, we hope. You might have heard about this by now. Jared Kelnick from Waukesha, Wisconsin, home of T.J. Watt and not a lot of baseball players. In fact, it's very rare to have a Wisconsin-based player go in the first round at all or second round or third round. This is the highest drafted Wisconsinite ever, matter of fact. Jordan Zimmerman is a pretty good example of a guy that worked out okay from Wisconsin, the pitcher. But, uh, yeah, very Brandon Nimmo-ish in this regard. He, of course, from Wyoming, didn't play high school ball because the season just starts so late. The quality of competition is not good. So this was all travel ball, basically, for Kelnick and and really uh, impressed a lot of people. Let's put it that way. And, And I know high school players are a gamble. Historically... The, the riskiest thing you can do in the draft, there's been a lot of parsing of this, but if you draft a, a high school third baseman, that is the riskiest thing, supposedly, that you can do. And I know David Wright was a home run. George Brett, Mike Schmidt, terrific. But those are very much exceptions to the rule in that regard. High school catchers, very hit and miss as well. And the Mets, obviously, back in 1966, if you know your history, they rolled the dice on Steve Chilcott, high school catcher. They could have taken Reggie Jackson. But anyway, aside from that digression, Mets do need to restock the pond with some outfield depth and talent here. Their top-ranked outfielder in the minors right now, Desmond Lindsay's coming off a major elbow surgery. Adrian Hernandez was an international signing last summer. He's only 17 years old. So it's nice to see them go and get the outfielder. And you can make a case that there were other guys on the board. I'm fascinated that if Jonathan India, the third baseman, college third baseman, ready-made guy, if he would have been available, had, had, would the Mets have popped him? But the Reds got him instead. Great name, too. Kind of like from a Point Break, Johnny Utah, or from the late years of The Office, Robert California. Jonathan India. Really, really like that. But uh, we'll get to know Kelnick. We'll get to love Kelnick. We'll even get to pronounce it correctly and uh, find out how many R's are in his first name and all that. But for now, that's the pick everybody's talking about. The Mets went ahead and took a second pick. We're going to talk more in depth about the draft on the next off day, next time we get a chance to just kind of really slow down and uh, and take a breath because there won't be actual Mets games to be reporting on. So when you listen to the, the podcast on Thursday and Friday, we'll get way more into this. But I thought it would be interesting to bring back an interview I did back in the spring training with J.P. Ricciardi. I've been holding this out for a while, figuring this would be a great place to put this interview, because not only is J.P.'s background in scouting and the draft, but also in the art of trade-making, something that absolutely might interest the Mets one way or another in a month or two, because if they continue to slip and slide, they got a lot of guys that they could trade off and get some value back. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully they're actually buyers instead of sellers, and J.P. will be very involved in that as well. But with a big history in the draft and just with an eye for talent, I thought a J.P. Ricciardi interview is something you guys would like today. So courtesy of Ridgewood Savings Bank, here you go. 
And a reminder that at Ridgewood, you'll find the same time saving online and mobile tools as the big banks, but with better service, fewer fees, and none of the runaround. So whether you want to manage your money from your phone or buy your first home, Ridgewood is ready to help you live a better financial lifestyle. Visit RidgewoodBank.com. Great people, great service. I'll take great care of you. I love them. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Now, the Wayback Machine is fired up. We take you back to late March when I got to sit down with JP. With country music in the background, no less, because when you think of J.P. Ricciardi, <laughs> you think country music. Uh, he is the, the Mets' assistant general manager. And let's start there, because you've, you've had a lot of different titles in your day. Yeah. Uh, so if you were to describe your job now, what, what do you do? I think my job has really been the same ever since I've uh, gotten into baseball. It's evaluating talent. Uh, I don't care what role you have, whether you're a coach, a scout, Uh, general manager, assistant general manager, whatever role you serve, I think for me, my strength is the ability to evaluate, and that's what I've always, uh, that's probably what I always hung my hat on. I think that's what I continue to do here. So walk me through, because to me, that's such an esoteric description. You evaluate talent. So you sit there, you see a guy in a baseball uniform, and he's doing some action of some sort. But what's the what's the A to Z of okay? I'm watching him athletically. I'm watching him. I mean, you can't. Can you scout mentally? I mean, how does that all yeah, work? Yeah, well, it's a vague uh, probably answer here because there's so many things that go into it. But you know, we, I think anytime you go to a baseball park for, for for my job, whether it's a high school game, a college game, a minor league game, different levels of the minor leagues or the major leagues, you're evaluating. You're watching. Okay we're looking for this type of we need a second baseman so okay can this guy play second base for us what makes me think he can or what makes me think he can't play second base so it's just different degrees of evaluation but you're you're always figuring out for the draft a guy fits a certain thing in the minor league should we move this guy shouldn't we move this guy why should he stay back what you know what does he need at the big league level any ideas we have like hey can can this guy play a different position hey can this guy you know come up with a different pitch so we're always watching you know we're always watching the workouts like hey this guy's really looking good on balls in the outfield you know maybe we can put him in the outfield we're just always trying to find ways to find players and find players that fit for the Mets to make us better what's the fine line that uh, a prospect has to walk if he I mean he's got to know that people are watching him all the time, right? I mean, hopefully anybody listening to this right now, if you say you're 17 years old, you want to impress a scout, is it accurate to say, hey, somebody's always watching everything you do? Definitely. You know, my father told me that from a young age. Someone's always watching, and you never know who's watching. And, uh, you know, it's just I can tell you so many stories about people that have been discovered or things that have been, you know, figured out because guys have been watching guys and paying attention to them. Uh, so, you know, anybody who's out there and is listening, you know, you always should play the game as hard as you can and respect the game because that's what no, scouts notice right away, how hard you play. I think the end-all, be-all as far as being successful at the major league level, a lot of it comes down to makeup. All these guys have talent, but, you know, not all of them have enough makeup to handle the ups and downs, and the ones who do seem to, seem to prosper. Who were the guys that you would put on the cover of a pamphlet if you were to say to a 17-year-old kid, Here's an example of a guy whose makeup got him up to the next level. Well, I think, you know, Eckstein jumps out at you because I saw Eckstein play from the time he was at Florida, and there isn't one skill that you would look at and say... <laughs> yeah, he's five foot nothing, and he... He, doesn't, like, he didn't throw. Right. He, nothing came off his bat, but just a winning player that someone believed in, someone gave an opportunity, and actually, you know, the Red Sox, I think he was claimed on waivers by Anaheim, and they gave him an opportunity. So... 
you, you, you have to be ready to take advantage of your opportunity when it comes. You never know when it's going to come, but it will come. And when it does, you have to be ready to take advantage of it. Because if you're a little guy, you're probably not going to get two and three opportunities. But if you're a bigger guy, you might get a few more. But there's always the next guy. You know, we, make, we have a running joke. It's like the barbershop, you know, next. There's, <laughs> right. al- there's always some guy that's ready to come behind you. So you've got to, you know, continue to make yourself better and, and continue to, to make the strides you need to make and improve on the areas that you struggle with. When you talk about looking for a fit and i'm just wondering how much the goal line moves on that for example now it's all about launch anglers so we hear a few years ago it was something else a few years from now it'll be something different so do you find yourself changing exactly what it is you're scouting sometimes i think you have to change in some certain areas because the game challenges you enough to change but I think you have to keep your core principles of what you think is a good player. I think that never goes away. You know, guys who play hard, guys who have a pretty good idea of what the game's all about, guys who grind out at bats, guys who do the little things on the field. Uh, those things don't change. You know, launch angle and things like that, those are just concepts that have come in the game that have showed that certain guys can make changes. And I think as an evaluator, you got to recognize those changes and be able to say he has made a change and he's a different player and we reevaluate him in a different way. So I think you have to be cognizant of all of the numbers and the stats, but you still can't lose sight of the fact of what a baseball player looks like. When you were the guy in Toronto, I mean, the buck stopped with you. And not to suggest you're just a guy now, but, I mean, it's a collaborative effort now. You're, you're an assistant to, to yep. Sandy Alderson. And there's a lot of different uh, ladles in the soup here. Yours is, is among the, the more respected ladles. But do you take – you've got to take some pride, I would think, in when you're, when you're sculpting a potential trade. We're looking for this. We're looking for that. Do you celebrate that, oh, that's the guy I really wanted, and we convinced that other team to put him in the trade? Well, I think, you know, the best part of a trade for me is when both teams do well. Because then, you know, the other team will always be willing to trade with you. I don't think, I've never had the mindset like I want to go in and really take advantage of this team. Because, now, if we make an an even part deal and we end up getting the better end of it, not going to apologize for that. But I never want to go in and say, okay, how can we really take advantage of these guys? They're yeah, never going to deal. If you please them, they're not going to take your call. Exactly. Again, right? yeah. and, and, you know, and if you, if you gloat about something, be, but let me tell you something. <laughs> We've made enough trades that <laughs> the other team's gloating too. So, uh, but I think you know, there's just things that sometimes you make trades. And you know, we traded for Jose Batista. He became a really, really good player. And uh, you know, we didn't think he'd hit 50 home runs. We thought he'd be a better player than what he was in Pittsburgh. But you know, that's a trade where you look back and say, you know, we made out on that trade. But, you, you know, you try to just evaluate. I've always had the principle that I don't care what we're giving up if I'm happy with what we're giving, getting back. Because if I know we're getting back something we're happy with, I, I'd rather give up a good player. So that guy says, hey, we, the, both trades work for both clubs. Well, I, I think immediately of Cespedes for Fulmer when you talk about exactly. that, right? They, they say flags fly forever and yeah. you guys won an NL pennant. You gave up something to get something. Yeah, and I think that was a great trade for us at the time because it was a matter, it, it kind of tested our mettle. Like, were we really going to take the step? We were three games behind the Nationals at the time and we could have easily said, ah, let's wait. But I think, you know, a credit to everybody who was involved in the trade. We stepped up, we made the trade. We knew we were giving up a good player, uh, but we also knew that we had a, a surplus of pitching, and uh, I think both trades worked out great for both teams. So now you're restocking the lake, so to speak. Yep. All those fish swam away, and in come all these hard-throwing, I mean really hard-throwing right-handers. What was that process like, JP? I mean, it sounds like there was almost a mandate, like let's make sure we're, we're getting back some of these arms we, we gave away. So not to, to jump too far into it here, but it almost seems like your job, and it had to be so much fun, was to, okay, go identify these hard-throwing guys that we want wearing Met uniforms. Yeah, I think our scouts did a really good job of, you know, for, for the players we were, we were trading 
in the situation we were in, we weren't exactly in the greatest spot because of, you know, some of the guys came with money restrictions. So I think our scouts did a really good job of identifying guys that weren't, we weren't going to be able to get their top guys. We weren't going to take their bottom guys, but we were able to right. get their middle guys. Right. And I think our scouts did a really good job, you know, with Smith and Callahan and Batista and, and, you know, so many of the other guys. So we did restock a lot of the arms we gave away that, you know, really we didn't give them away too many arms that came back to hurt us, uh, but we gave away a lot of bulk and we, we had to, you know, uh, put a surplus back in the tank, in other words, to just have enough of a bulk that, you know, we can go down and take a Callahan, we could take a Smith, you know, and, and just have a number of resources to uh, pull from to help the Major League Club. Very soon, you've got you've got two kids who might end up being scouted as well. And so now put your dad hat on for me. You're going to get a chance to scout your own children as potential New York Mets? <laughs> well, I think as a father, I know him better than anybody. So, uh, you know, if they get the opportunity to play, it's great. Uh, I just want them to play the game and have fun and enjoy it. You know, that's the other stuff is icing on the cake. And then, you know, it's it's a tough business to be in, as they know. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, I think the biggest thing you can do with your kids is be honest and be fair with them and tell them what you think of them as a player and where they need to get better. And if they're able to get better in those areas, you know, it gives them a chance to move, you know, a little further. And, and finally, and I know this is a little People magazine-y, it's not real baseball, but because of your travel schedule, and now you're essentially an empty nester, your kids are in college and all of that, but do you look back, because I'm, you know, I'm a dad too, sure, and, and sure. I look back and I go, boy, you know, the, the, the one thing about baseball, not that we're complaining, sure. but it's just a thing, we're away from home a lot. Do you ever look back, second guess anything, or do, are, are you absolutely 100% this is exactly how this was supposed to go. Yeah, I think I look at it this way. First of all, I have a great wife, and I think if all of us in baseball have that, then you have a great anchor at home. But, uh, you know, I think you also, as much as you hustle to get out and see other kids play, other people's kids play, you have to hustle back to see your kids play. And I think if you're making that effort and you're able to see them and spend quality time with them, I mean, I look at both my boys, they're 19 and 21. They grew up in big league clubhouses their whole life. They're not in our of the big leagues. They, they get to see big league players. They get to see, you know, the really good big league players who are good guys. And they get to see the big league players who maybe don't, treat people the way right, they should be treated right. and uh so they've got to see you know what it really is so it's not it's it's almost demystified but they've learned a lot by being you know osmosis being around the game right. being around good people so many good instructors and things like that so i wouldn't trade it for anything because they've got to go places look at us both you and i i mean if it wasn't for baseball right. i'd still be in worcester mass doing nothing you know i've never would have left I don't know if anybody ever would have guessed you were from Worcester, Mass, <laughs> from your accent. You, you, my accent didn't get, you thought I was from Kingsport, Tennessee? Say, say arms again for me. <laughs> arms. <laughs> I love that so much. Sorry about your Patriots, by the way. Uh, you know what? Philadelphia played well. you got to give them credit. Look at you giving us spreading some credit. Well, around. you know why? Because the Patriots will be back next year. <laughs> oh, okay. As long as we have Tom Brady, we'll be okay. Well, we, oh, do you play for them? I didn't, I didn't realize that. <laughs> no, I support them. <laughs> yeah, yes, you do. Uh, hey, continued success, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much to J.P. Ricciardi. Always a neat guy to talk to. And now what's brewing for today. Brought to you by the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. They're making a big-time comeback later this year. Returning to your neighborhood under new ownership, but still, as always, serving the finest premium coffees from around the world. Whatever your pleasure, they've got it. And soon there will be a location near you. Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. Get to know the name. We will have, as I said earlier, a lot more in terms of the draft coming up on the Friday podcast but the Mets now have made two selections there are plenty more to come here's some fun perspective regarding having a top six pick and what to expect I mentioned that Barry Bonds was a six and you know Gary Sheffield was a six and uh, Derek Jeter obviously was a six there have been 53 drafts so far okay coming into this year 
for the number of one through six overall picks, that's six times 53 drafts, that's 318 guys. And 250 of those are eligible for the Hall of Fame, or were eligible for the Hall of Fame, having been out of baseball entirely long enough. So uh, of 250 top six picks, the top shelf athletes in the sport, how many Hall of Famers do you think out of 250? The cream of the crop, the sure bets, right? What do you think? 40 out of 250? 30 out of 250? The, the answer is nine. Nine out of 250. Most of the recent Hall of Famers, and in fact, if you go back through the draft entirely, you're going to find way more guys taken in rounds like the 11th, the 12th, the 9th. Uh, Nolan Ryan was a 12th round pick. Andre Dawson was 11th. Ryan Sandberg was a 20th. John Smoltz, 22nd. Of course, Mike Piazza, a 62nd. Uh, Trevor Hoffman was an 11th. Wasn't even a pitcher back then. Jim Tomey was a 13th. The only guys who went to the Hall of Fame being picked among the first six picks in the draft. Reggie Jackson, Carlton Fisk, uh, Robin Yount, and Dave Winfield. Those guys went back-to-back 3-4 in 1973. Nice job, everybody. And Eddie Murray went later in that draft, too. The 76th draft, by the way, that was primo. Alan Trammell, Ricky Henderson, Jack Morris, Wade Boggs. But none of those guys in the first round. Uh, Paul Molitor was a number three overall. Kirby Puckett was a three overall. Barry Larkin, a four overall. And we finally got number ones to go in very recently. Ken Griffey Jr. and now Chipper Jones. That's it. I mean, that, that, that's the whole list you're looking at. So anyway, just some perspective. And we're not trying to put pressure on Jared Kelnick right now because the history shows chances are you're going to be. And, and it's funny because the comps for him, you hear the names like Mark Kotze right now. Mark Kotze was a very solid player, uh, not a Hall of Famer but by any stretch. Grady Sizemore is another comp that you hear for Kelnick. And that guy had a really nice career ruined by injuries. If he turns out to be Grady Sizemore and stays healthy, I'd be all for that. Anyway, back to what's on the field. You've got the Mets and the Orioles now. Two teams scoring very few runs. Mets just had the six runs in four games against the Cubs. Orioles just had a homestand against the Nationals and Yankees. Eight runs in five games. So, yeah, two teams averaging a run and a half a game. Something's got to give. Zach Wheeler against Alex Cobb. DRA of five and a half against DRA of six and a half. Both pitchers happy to be going up against a struggling offense, no doubt. And, you know, Cobb is a guy you kind of feel sorry for. Tommy John surgery and the thoracic outlet, just like Matt Harvey, right? And obviously Matt is having a tough time bouncing back from all that. Same story with Alex Cobb. The game tonight is at 7:10. Don't forget, it's a quick turnaround. The Wednesday game is an afternooner. Then the Yankees come in. It's a free shirt Friday on uh, Friday the 8th. Fireworks on Saturday. Get the Jarris Familia fathead on Sunday. That is a Sunday night game. That is a Sunday night game the Yankees are actually willing to play. If you are out of market, as they say, and feel like joining the Mets sometime this week, we certainly invite you to come on in. And if you get the app on your phone, Hotel Tonight, that makes it very easy just to get to town. And, and even if you don't have a place ready, they'll find one for you. You can really literally do it just in, in minutes advance time. But if you're a planner like I am, I've already got my all-star break planned out up in Canada. And I've used Hotel Tonight to book the whole thing. You get it done in 10 seconds, three taps and a swipe. They show you brilliant hotel choices. They only give you places where they would stay too. So Hotel Tonight, highly endorsed. I think you guys should, should probably try and check it out. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a hodgepodge of a podcast. Boy, we, we, we covered a lot of ground. We got a little bit of the draft for you. Uh, talked about the Orioles coming in. Talked about Todd Frazier coming back. 
And I guess we're about out of time. I guess I got to go. That's the podcast. We'll uh, talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Bye.